0: Well, it's my pleasure today to welcome you all to Cancer Grand Rounds and those who are uh, watching remotely. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Christian Little. Uh, Chris is, uh, but before the superlatives, I need to tell you that Chris uh, has no uh, conflict of interest has no uh, uh, financial interest in this talk. His reports uh, do not intend to discuss off-label or investigational use of drugs or products. And he attests that he is not receiving direct payments from a commercial entity with respect to this activity. So with that out of the way, uh, Chris uh, came to the uh, Cancer Center maybe 15 years ago or so, and uh, he's gonna talk today about the Cancer Center uh, shared resources, which uh, uh, he'll go into more detail about. There's uh, 12 or 14 of them, I think. And uh, they're little pools of expertise and instrumentation uh, for specific areas to uh, help you in your research. And so I think the main intent of today's talk is to, uh, is an awareness. Uh, what services are out there to help you, to expedite you uh, in your research, be it basic or uh, clinical? Uh, Chris, he is the manager of the Molecular Biology Corps, and uh, he's in charge of all the shared instruments on both campuses. Um, he is the go to expert on the nanodrop. Uh, MALDI MS, Sanger sequencing, um, database uh, system uh, for ordering and keeping track uh, in the uh, shared resources called CCOPS, something he had a big part in, and he'll tell you uh, a little more about that. Uh, Chris got his uh, zoology degree in uh, his BS at North. Northern, Northern, Northern uh, Arizona University. His postgraduate work uh, in biology and education at uh, Northern Arizona University, and he's on the boards of several of the top uh, committees that regulate uh, shared resources, including ASCP, which is the American Society of Clinical Pathology. He's also, I think, CLIA certified to carry out his uh, work, and he's also on the board of the ABRF, or the Association of Biomolecular Research Facilities. So without further ado, Chris, it's it's all yours.
1: Thank you, Craig. People hear me okay? Good, Good nods. <clears throat> all right, I know I need to start by doing the same thing here. Uh, Now, I have no financial interest in this talk. I do not intend to discuss off-label or investigational uses of a product or a device. And I attest I am not receiving any direct payments from a commercial entity with respect to this activity. Excuse me. So our goals and objectives today are to make everyone aware of the many services that the shared uh, resources offer. I'm going to diverge immediately from here. As much as we think people know what we do and the services we can provide, I'm always surprised by someone who I've worked with for a long time coming in and saying, hey, do you guys do this technique? And, of course, we've been doing it for years, and yet they still are unaware that we are doing these particular types of techniques. So I really appreciate being able to talk today simply because uh, we really need to get that information out more, uh, obviously. Um, We also want to inform the Dartmouth community about the uh, latest technologies and services that all the shared instruments offer, and to better uh, help uh, the Dartmouth research and clinical communities understand how we may assist you. And that assist is a very wide uh, open uh, uh, topic. It can be as simple as coming in and learning how to use the NanoDrop uh, machine. Or it can be as extensive as you handing us the sample and letting us do a full uh, from extractions and whatever needs to be done and let us complete the whole research uh, for you. So whatever you may need, go to the shared resource that uh, that is out there and try uh, <clears throat> and see how that they can help you. If they can't, they might be able to point you definitely towards somebody who can help you. Um, I'm going to start by talking about some general information that affects all the shared resources uh, and uh, then go through how do you access the shared resources and, and how you go about that. Also, we'll then review, of course, all the shared resources, and I'll try to show at least a little snapshot of some work that they've done from all the shared resources in hopes that it might trigger uh, an idea uh, of something that you might be doing um, where they might be able to help. Uh, But uh, keep in mind, it's just a short snapshot. I'm not giving uh, in-depth analysis of these particular uh, snapshots here. Um, And then after that, we'll uh, hopefully, if we have time, go through a little more information regarding the course. This was a slide that was done by the group, uh, uh, the team up on the 8th floor. It was an advertisement for a brochure for a meeting that the Cancer Center uh, um, uh, sponsored. And it, it's just a really nice slide. I like using it. But the main point of the slide is that uh, shared resources provide expert consultation and services. And that's exactly how they should be used. And Got a nice listing of all the uh, shared resources there. Uh, on the uh, your left Um, So just like to show that one off because they did just such a great job with that So some general information Um, All shared resources recover their costs through user fees Now these fees are based strictly on the costs and determined by the individual resources themselves Um, And bringing this up because that's the first thing everybody wants to know how much is it going to cost me to get this work done? And realize that these fees uh, are based off of the cost of supplies, uh, service agreements to keep the instruments running, uh, and the salaries of the people in those particular shared resources. And in and more than one of these shared resources, uh, these uh, amounts can uh, go well over 100 hundred k each year. Uh, so it's not ne- necessarily a trivial thing. Uh, also realize that the Cancer Center subsidizes all the shared resources. And that enables the shared resources to turn around and charge less for their, their services. That's a very important point. And institutional guidelines from uh, institutional and NCI guidelines dictate uh, that a, rare, a shared resource cannot charge more for service than it costs them to provide that. Now think about that for a minute. We can't recover more than it costs us to do the work for you. And we're getting some sort of subsidies, so we've been able to charge a little bit less. It's a very narrow model to try to work a shared resource in, and so we are, are, are pretty pinched when it comes to trying to do uh, extra, extra stuff for people. But it is something that all the shared resources try to do all the time. <clears throat> Um, so how do you access shared resources? You come to, this is the Cancer Center web page. Uh, once you're on the Cancer Center webpage, you can come to researchers and down to shared resources. And under shared resources, you'll find CC Ops Service Request System. That's this particular page here. And, um, and what is CC Ops? Well, there's a good description of CCOps right there. Um, It is cancer center core operations uh, and through that we use it to submit sample, uh, submit the samples uh, to reserve instruments. Everybody uh, may, you don't necessarily go directly through the cores, but you can uh, reserve instrument time on some of the shared resources that are out there. Several of the cores use it for data distributions, setting up places where you can click on and download your data directly and not have them send it through uh, the email necessarily for you. Uh, we, do, uh, we do use it for administrative control and, of course, financial management. Now, that's a big thing. Everybody knows the string accounts and how uh, long they are and, and how many there are out there. And that's how we have to do our financial uh, uh, charging and so forth. Um, the uh, Believe me, the uh, PI admins that uh, work this, this system uh, are amazing because it is very complicated. Now, this system makes it much better than it used to be, uh, but uh, it's still a complicated uh, system upstairs. And uh, again, the team up on the eighth floor does a great job, job of that. So what you do when you want to uh, get a CC Ops account, is you email ccops at dartmouth.edu. You can just type it in, or that's a link there on the page. And just say, hey, I would like a ccops account. It's really that simple. It, that then comes to three people, myself, Kathy Smith, and Lisa Op, upstairs. So one of us will take that request, get you entered into the system by putting in a username, which is usually your first initial and your last name <coughs> to, uh, put together, all lowercase, give you a password, uh, and then send you back that particular information. You then take that, and you go to your admin PI, which is usually a financial person in the office there. And they then need to link you up to one of those string accounts to your lab, or to your, to your PI, or whatever accounts you're going to be choosing. Once that link is created, then you can log on to CC Ops and make the request that you want to make. Uh, here is the link. again. On, that, uh, partic- on this particular page to access uh, the uh, front page of CC Ops. And uh, uh, from there, hopefully, you're flying. There are enough people using CC Ops out there that uh, people can show you how to do things. But if you do need help, you can email us and ask for help, and we're happy to do- provide that also. All right, we're just about halfway done. I hope you're done with your lunches. <laughs> not really. Obviously this is the meat of the talk here, uh the review uh, of shared resources and all the different resources there are. For this purpose and the purposes mainly of this talk, I've grouped them into three groupings here. Um, integrative uh, biology, experimental and and the uh clinical research. And I'm not trying to set up new departments or anything like that here. I just want to try to break this down because there are a fair number of these cores cores to go through. But uh, speaking of new departments, uh, Chris Amos is going to be starting, uh, heading up a new department here. He's also going to be heading up the bioinformatics shared resource uh, coming up here. Uh, this is still being established right now and organized uh, so we don't have a lot of information to give you on, uh, to you on this. Uh, and speaking, I'll back up a little bit here. I'm breaking all the shared resources down this way so you see management and the people that are in that lab, how you can access that if you need to get that information later on. I'd be happy to provide that. But of course it's also on the cancer webpage that I just showed you previously. And some of the uh, services, not necessarily all the services, because there are a lot of services that a lot of these uh, shared resources uh, offer, and I can't get them all on the page and still make it readable for for everyone. But these are a few of the things that uh, I assume uh, Chris is going to pick up after Jason has left, uh, uh, and still provide and still is providing. Uh, uh, bioinformatics is not stopped here at uh, Dartmouth by any means, and so. Um, uh, that will be continuing on. Um, uh, Tor Tostesans is, uh, is uh, the uh, director for uh, biostatistics uh, shared resource that is located on the eighth floor of the Rubin Building. Uh, you can contact him by phone and email, that particular one. Uh, Some of the things that they do there is statistical design and protocol development, statistical uh, data management, and uh, some more specialized methodologies that they do here is the uh, statistical genetics, geospatial analysis, which is embedded within them, and epigenetics. An example of some of the work that they've done here is the Dartmouth Enable uh, two randomized trial and uh, was for, this was the first to establish the quality of uh, life advantages of palliative care intervention. Um, uh, and what uh, TOR's group was able to do here was a, a novel modeling approach to develop and apply um, more efficient analysis and improved interpretation of uh, some of the parameters that they were looking at. Uh, uh, you can see, uh, just a quick look at that, uh, you can see uh, intervention, people receiving palliative care were in the green and uh, control groups not, uh, were in the red there. Embedded within, uh, within biostatistics is this little gem here, geospatial, uh, the geospatial resource. Uh, That's uh, headed up by James Sargent. um, And uh, Heather Carlos is part of the lab there. Uh, They do some uh, really nice stuff. Uh, It's really fun to look at if you've ever looked at some of the work they do. Uh, Top one there is acquisition and interpretation of geospatial data and combining that with uh, census data. they also do calculation of travel time so you can see what's involved and how far you need to go to uh, get to certain services and so forth. Density uh, and density approximation calculations are all part of that, and mapping patterns uh, and a lot of, of those. And uh, here's a, an example of some of the work they've done. <coughs> and uh, this is a, a distance map uh, to services for mapography. Uh, breast MRI and ultrasound, and uh, the legend down there shows you that the dark blue is you're within 30 minutes of that, uh, or you're uh, between 30 minutes and an hour of that, or more than an hour away. And based on that, uh, if you need any of those services, you don't want to live in North Dakota or Nevada necessarily. Uh, genomics and molecular biology, you might recognize some faces in there. Uh, Craig Tomlinson and uh, Joanna Hamilton are heading up the uh, genomics portion of this, and Yolanda Sanchez is uh, a director of the uh, molecular biology, in part. Um, lots of things that are, are offered through that. Uh, experimental design, of course, especially when you're into Genomics. You don't want to walk up into genomics and hand them a sample. You want to sit down and really plan things out because these are complicated data uh, situations. And you want to have that all worked out and planned out well before you get into those particular types of studies. So it's always best to contact them and uh, set up a meeting before you start start any of those types of studies. is doing uh, microarrays and deep sequencing with the ion torrent, of course. Uh, the Illumina, they can send out, uh, even though we don't have one uh, in the research labs here. That is something we can send out, because we do have agreements to send that out to other groups. So don't assume we don't have contacts out to do uh, some of the other work. Matter of fact, if somebody needs to do some pack bio runs, have those contacts, too. So there are things that we can uh, can do even if we don't have that particular instrument here on campus. Obviously, data analysis and bioinformatics, uh, Zion and uh, Carol uh, are involved in that. They'll be moving over to Chris's group for the most part as they're restructuring that. Uh, initially, they were embedded with genomics. Uh, also, uh, you know, uh, in molecular biology, we're doing the Sanger and genotyping. Nanostring technologies, great stuff. I'm a big believer in nanostring. That's uh, really interesting stuff. Clean, nice, easy-to-use data. Um, and uh, that's, it's a lot, of, a lot of fun to uh, run that in quick turnaround times. Um, also, laboratory services, this is a walk-up type equipment. The qubit is here in Rubin. Uh, nanodrops in both places, qPCR uh, machines in both places, and all kinds of imaging all over the places that are are covered uh, through uh, uh, the genomics and molecular biology. Now, uh, location, genomics is here in Rubin on the sixth floor, and uh, the molecular biology uh, core is over in at the medical school. Uh, We're on the second floor, all the way down right before you go into Gilman. Sometimes we're a little hard to find if you're trying to locate us over there. So let me go through a little story here uh, that uh, we encountered through that. Um, We're investigating, uh, 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 well, not investigating, but doing a melanoma project where we're characterizing uh, 34 cell lines uh, for, the, uh, for an investigator here. Mainly, they wanted to see uh, what was going on and what might explain some of the immune, immune behavior and pathway inhibition that they were seeing from previous research done on these particular cell lines. It was initially started in 2009. Uh, where they were looking at BRAF and Kit pathway mutations, and that was they were identified and characterized uh, by a PCR array with the PathCore. The deep sequencing came uh, along in uh, 2013. We were, we were using our uh, 541 gene panel uh, for sequencing on that on the uh, using the Ion Torrent um, to identify the particular patterns. One particular cell line, the one listed up here at the top, uh, was initially identified as having a 21% frequency in the, this particular cell line, but when it was done with the deep sequencing, it was shown that uh, we were seeing about a 65% cell line, uh, percent uh, um, frequency of that particular mutation. <coughs> so. That was a little concerning. There were. It wasn't just that. Uh, there were other uh, things going on that that were concerning as to what might be going on with these this particular cell line. So Genomics went back, mm-hmm. did another uh, sequencing of that 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 panel and another panel, and still confirmed the frequency at which they were seeing seeing uh, initially with the cell line, uh, but. Uh, So they went back, and pathology, being the good lab that they are, still had some of the original DNA that they had done back in 2009, so that was used on the panel, too. And indeed, that showed that the frequency of the BRAF mutations was indeed just as they had called it back then. So that was concerning. What's what's going on here? Uh, what's happening? So that made us go back and start digging through records, or not us, but the lab itself, going back and digging through records, trying to figure out what the heck had happened with this particular cell line. And this is what was discovered. The cells got passage into a different media. Initially the cells were in different types of media. They wanted to get rid of that variable, and so they were then uh, growing the cells up in the same media here. Uh, and so the process of looking at that pat- the cells uh, back in 2009 was before that media change had happened. And the thought is that that media then was selecting out uh, certain mutations uh, and changed that cell line a little bit as it came down further down the line. So what's the moral of that story? You know, it's interesting, something to be aware of. The moral of that story is if this information, not information, but if these samples had been sent out, nothing was done wrong by any of the the, uh, the analyzers here. So the chances of putting this story together had this been sent out would have probably not happened or it would have been very difficult to put together. But by keeping things here in-house, uh, you've got that extra attention and the care that the shared resources do care about, about the type of uh, work that you're doing and, and, and uh, that we're all doing together. Okay, the next set of uh, shared resources is the experimental and translational models. Uh, Obviously, that's flow and uh, the animal imaging and cell imaging group uh, and the transgenic uh, mice group. So here's a nice grouping uh, uh, a view of the uh, uh, flow cytometry. Uh, Jackie Smith's in charge of that and the men under her. We tease her about that a lot. Uh, they're located, actually, they're located in several locations uh, throughout uh, Dartmouth campus, mainly up on Rubin 710. But of course, there are facilities over in the flow uh, cytometry, over in the Borwell on the third floor. And there is a flow uh, uh, machine over in Remsen 516 also. Um, Without being said, of course, they do immunoassays and flow cytometry instruments that they have, the uh, 11-color cell sorter and uh, 10- and 8-color cytometers that uh, can be used. Uh, You can see some of the clinical trials that they're doing here also uh, right now. Parkinson's uh, disease uh, is one that's ongoing. So if you do uh, some flow in particular with the T-cell, uh, not the T-cell, but with a flow, this is the type of uh, data you will, might see. This particular one was T-cell trafficking in a mouse melanoma and the expression of the CXCR3 uh, gene uh, on the CD8 positive T-cells and how important that was in lung metastasis and going through these particular graphs of looking at the live cells and then sorting uh, uh, out things and, uh, and getting them into the uh, proper expression flows and, and turning that data into uh, seeing uh, uh, how important it was and where those cel- cells were flowing and when they were uh, uh, picked up. Uh, so some nice work that they did in that particular group. Now if we look at the transgenic and uh, genetic construct, Steve Firing's in charge of that. Uh, you'll see that Dart Mouse has moved up underneath us, uh, 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 Steve, uh, and so they're they're doing quite a lot of things these days. Uh, you have your transgenic mice, of course, uh, the background planning, generation of germline chimeric mice. Obviously, you don't want to read through all of these. Um, surgery and technical services that they offer, and uh, speed congenics. So here's a, a, a nice example of a confirmation of, uh, of uh, some of the humanized uh, uh, cells within a mouse. Uh, and you'll notice, this, we're back to doing the standard flow work here. Looking at the live cells and then sorting that out to the point where they know the percentage of those and the types of cells that they're getting, what this does demonstrate, though, is how the course can work together. You can drop these off and get, get the results that you're looking at, have it have those particular cells generated by the mouse by transgenics. Transgenics will then give that to flow. Flow will then confirm these and do that work and then you get your information back back from that. The course can work seamlessly. We do have pip- pipelines. We do talk to <laughs> each other. So that is something that uh, we can uh, uh, facilitate for you. And uh, this is a great example of, of work like that being done. So uh, this is a quantitative trait. Look, I map uh, that. Uh, that uh, DartMouse might generate for uh, someone looking at mapping of the uh, uh, F2 mice here. Uh, Just a really nice way to look at this. And that's exactly how they present this. This is uh, made for uh, good visual information for the research. And it's easily easy to interpret. So if you're looking for a particular uh, uh, linkage between some genes and you know uh, basically where they are, that's a quick easy way to figure out if this is a mouse that's uh, going to be able to uh, to help you or not in this but it's also visually fun to look at
0: <coughs>
1: Sorry, maybe going a little quick here. So a radiation preclinical imaging and and microscopy. uh, This is a big group. Uh, Used to be a little more separate, brought together. And brought together, uh, there's one project that they're all working on uh, uh, together, because it takes all of them to do it. But uh, Jack Hoops uh, is a science director of this group with Radustan. Uh, in charge of microscopy, David Gladstone with irradiation and, uh, and Chuck uh, Daglan, uh in charge of electron microscopy, so irradiation uh, and animal imaging, this includes both small and large animal uh, lots of fun fun toys to play with <laughs> within this particular one. Uh, and things that they can do uh, as far as imaging and uh, visualizing things. Um, Nice picture of the uh, intraoperative uh, facility over there. And up in the corner there, you'll see that I have a nanoparticle. Uh, This is a project working uh, with a lot of nanoparticles um, and uh, targeted uh, uh, therapies. Uh, that involves all the imaging cores because uh, it needs the expertise of all of those. So uh, I did throw uh, a quick Diagram of that up in the corner because it does take all the cores. It takes uh, EM and, and CT and ultrasound and histology and immunochemistry. Everybody's working with this particular um, Particle also wanted to show you some other images that they do um, This is a nice image Here, uh, the one on the uh, left, on your left, uh, demonstrated for the first time uh, the ability to visualize uh, surface-based radiation dosage uh, uh, during the radiation treatment itself. Uh, That particular is, you might see it's a dog jaw. Probably make that out pretty easily. It's a very clear, nice image, Uh, pretty stunning. Along with uh, the uh, micro-CT scan, of a tumor there, the vascularity of a tumor um, uh, that was done also. So some really fine work uh, and nice images done by these groups. <coughs> to show what the light microscopy group does, uh, some of the instruments they have, the zeiss Confocal. focal, uh, the uh, fluorescent scopes that they have, the uh, bright field scopes, and uh, confocals um, uh, there. Uh, nice uh, image up there of uh, the uh, very low density lipoproteins that you can see in red um, uh, using the confocal scope. Uh, pretty fun to see. Redu uh, office is up in Borwell. Uh, the lab itself, and Ken uh, is down on the third floor of that, too. Electron microscopy, you can uh, see the uh, SEM and the TEM scopes that they have available there, an older confocal, too. Chuck's office is right across from molecular biology core actually. The scopes themselves are down underneath us. And this is a nice uh, picture of uh, blood uh, red blood cells and the lymphocyte that uh, they took. <coughs> Clinical research uh, uh, trace elements and uh, clinical pharmacology and pathology. Uh, trace elements, some of you may not be aware of trace elements. Uh, they're located over in the steel building at 224. Director is Brian Jackson. Uh, uh, Initially they were out uh, dealing a lot with arsenic and mercury and they're branching out into more of the trace metals uh, and and finding ways to uh, work with that using the laser ablation uh, methods that they're developing. And uh, they're coming with some really nice uh, uh, stuff by doing that. Um, They also are working with some of the nanoparticles. These are some nice uh, images that they've taken. Uh, Particular one on top is localization of the uh, colloidal silver uh, on a dermal section that they looked at in copper distribution in a a rat brain uh, section of that. Clinical pharmacology. Uh, Lionel uh, Lewis is in charge of that particular one. Uh, They are, uh, Uh, he didn't put his locations kind of over in Borwell and uh, some up on the sixth floor also. uh, Contact him uh, for usage here. Um, You know, they are central biological uh, sample processing and storage and distribution. They're involved in that. Obviously they'll deal with small molecule analyte assays and uh the pharmacokinetic ki- pharma ki- and pharmodynamic uh, uh assays uh the things that they really do a lot of um, and their expertise in uh early phase study design. Now these were some uh troubleshooting studies they did uh, where they were able to uh, actually find some problems before they got into their uh, p k studies uh, that they were planning to do initially um, this uh, first one was where they were finding a lot of variability and uh, the uh, with the drug that they were going to use uh, at the uh, at the uh, point at which uh, it, At at six hours, they were discovering that they were having some solubility issues of the drug dosing and that it needed to go back and reformulate that particular drug before they continued on with the studies. So uh, before they got into those studies, they were able to figure out, no, no, we need to to work that out some more. And uh, uh, along the same lines uh, uh, with the uh, FAS inhibitor compounds, uh, this was something that they were going to uh, do, but they realized that it was not soluble uh, in, uh, in the plasma, and uh, they needed to go back and uh, figure that one out some more before they initiated And because PK studies are expensive. Uh, Darcy tells me that uh, this is something that they've just recently finally worked out, and they're about ready to continue those studies some more. So uh, pathology shared resources, uh, uh, Dr. Singalis has uh, presented here to the uh, cancer shared resources before, so I'm not going to go into it too much. Here are some of the things uh, that they will do for you. Kind of bottom line here is if you need a CLIA lab, certified lab doing the work uh, because you're in late phase trials or something like that, this is definitely where you want to go. They need to be doing that work for you for you. Uh, one thing that I will point out uh, a little further from that particular one is uh, the tissue specimen banking and retrieval. Uh, a Kind of an offshoot of that has been the newly established Dartmouth Biospecimen Storage Facility. This is an off-site facility. Uh, it's meant for long-term storage. It's not meant for you to go down and access it weekly or anything like that. It's meant to the backup samples or samples that aren't going to be used for for quite a while and that you're just banking uh, for research purposes later down the line. It's got 24-7 surveillance and 24-7 alarms uh, on it. Uh, you can see a picture of the facility there. Tom Plies is uh, the manager of this. Uh, when those alarms go off there's a, a fair amount of backup people who will then be called and get uh, Phone calls uh, from the automated system letting them know that a system's down. I know because even though I'm like third person down on the list, I occasionally do get the, those calls. Uh, they tend to be false alarms during spikes and stuff like that. But uh, it is constantly monitored. And, you know, good practice, of course, to save those precious specimens to get them split and off site at times. No, it seems like they go on forever here. Chemistry shared resource. This is under development right now. That is, except for uh, the uh, biochemical binding assays using the uh, Biocor, uh instrument. That is up and running, and that is something that you can reserve time on right now and work that through uh, the director here, Mark Spaller. He is just putting this together. Uh, is planning on doing some small molecule and, and uh, peptide synthesis, um, looking at uh, you know designing some uh, screening services depending on what people need and so one thing he has asked me to pass on to people is if you have some needs where that might fit in this court, please contact him he 's still trying to kind of figure out what are the needs and what people are going to want to use around here so uh, uh, if you do have something, please contact uh, Mark, and he'd be happy to talk with you. He's up uh, Ruben uh, 6 uh, on the sixth floor also. So some additional information about the particular course. And this is a big one. Um, Need for acknowledgement uh, this is a, uh, editor, uh, these are snippets taken from an editorial written by Nathan Blow, who is the uh, editor in chief for biotechniques and uh, uh, one thing he noted he assumes that because people are paying core staff, they feel that they don 't need to be acknowledging the, the course. But as he points out, and as we've discussed already, that uh, government grants often help reduce the cost to the users. And any core uh, researcher really should be acknowledging that core. That means, from the simplest thing that you do in a core, if you go up and you use the nanodrop machine, you should be, when you write these papers up, you should acknowledge that you use some core equipment. That is extremely important when it comes back to funding for the cancer center. Those are things that are looking at. And the funding for the cores themselves that come back to you by reducing costs um, is looked at by the number of publications that are citing the cores that they're using. Something that's really not a really problem here. It's a problem everywhere, obviously, if he's writing this in his journal. Uh, So it is extremely important for everybody to realize even as simple as using the nanodrop to having the, the full, full service done uh, by the core itself. You should be acknowledging those cores in your papers. Uh, Biotechniques started in November of asking uh, researchers. And I know uh, Nathan Blow was, was saying that he was going to start pushing this on the other journals, obviously. Journal editors meet and talk, and he was going to get that started here more and more. So shared resource affiliations. Um, Obviously, they're more than just these particular two here. Association of uh, Biomolecular Resource Facilities, ABRF, having our meeting here at the end of this month in St. Louis. Uh, This is an international meeting that a lot of the shared resource personnel uh, are either members or go to or have gone to before. This is where we do our networking. This is where we uh, connect with other core facilities. These meetings are focused on core issues and what other cores are doing to reduce costs, what instrumentation they're bringing in, what instrumentation they're getting rid of, uh, management issues that we have to deal with, and funding issues. So these are very important meetings for us, uh, um, and especially when it's relating directly to the cores. Now, Northeast Regional uh, Life Sciences uh, meeting, uh, uh, this is going to be held in October in Vermont. Uh, It is just a regional meeting. It actually is ABRF driven. It's part of ABRF, but it's just a localized uh, one, which is really nice, because the same networking uh, 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 situations are strictly related to the northeast, and so we can uh, build those ties and, and those bonds, which is important when you want to run something that we may not have here, and so we, may know, we know who to contact and where to go and, and uh, what you can do, do to uh, get some other things done. Within those groups, uh, there are some people here that at ABRF. Uh, they have these uh, research groups. What the research groups do is um, they evaluate uh, uh, certain analytical techniques and methodologies and establish good uh, practices. So they'll do some sort of research each year and then present that at the meeting. Now, uh, members of that, Alan Bergeron's uh, a member of the flow cytometry group uh, uh, here. Joanna Hamilton's part of the DNA sequencing research group and just has recently been asked to be on the next gen sequencing study. This is a big study that's doing a benchmarking study. She's the uh, lead person running the uh, ion torrent uh, uh, for that benchmarking study, so they're looking at human exomes. And, uh, and bacterial genomes to establish uh, what type of results you're going to get, how that compares to other platforms, and uh, what you can expect for that. So that's a, 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 a big study that, that's just going on and, and quite exciting for her to be on. I'm part of a nucleic acid research group uh, there. Uh, we're looking at um, uh, immunoprecipitation and next next-gen sequencing and how uh, fragment size and uh, sample concentration is affecting that and, and establishing uh, uh, recommendations for that. Also, uh, I am Northeast Regional. Uh, I'm part of the organizing committee for that particular meeting and currently acting as its treasurer. don't know why I did that. <laughs> So uh, external resources. Uh, some of those, quote, external resources are right here. Dartmouth. Eagle Eye, I wanted to mention that. Suzanne Thompson, who's sitting right, right here in, in uh, the uh, audience here. I, I don't know if many of you know Eagle Eye, because I get inquiries all the time. Do you know where this piece of equipment is? Who has this piece of equipment? Where can I find this? All that information is in Eagle Eye. Eagle Eye is a database that lists a lot of equipment, where it can be found, who's got it, what services might be offered through that. Uh, uh, And uh, it's an invaluable way to find a certain piece of equipment. And it's simple. You don't even have to be a member necessarily. You can join it. And if you want to, uh, Suzanne will be happy to have you do that? But you can just log on, say, I want it within the Dartmouth community, and I want to find this plate count, this particular plate counter, see if somebody's got one nearby that I can use. Uh, that's exactly what that's for, and it's very easy. And so when I get your email saying, hey, do you know who has this piece of equipment? This is where I go to find out if I don't know right offhand. Uh, VGN. Uh, Uh, The Vermont Network, uh, we uh, are partnering with Vermont in sharing some of the uh, resources that we have, trying to complement each other. Uh, There are some things that they uh, don't have up there, like the the nanostring. They don't have that particular instrument. At the same time, uh, they do have an Illumina sequencer that we will send some uh, sequencing stuff up up to. They also have some laser dissection uh, abilities that we don't have down here, so we're trying to expand our abilities and complement each other uh, through that. We had a meeting just the other week where we sat down and and really started to lay this out, and we'll get a written agreement, uh, which is just a loose agreement, to say, hey, you know, we're going to share some things. That's also viewed very well by uh, and NIH, when they're giving grants out, want to see that we're not duplicating services very near near each other, uh, necessarily. There can be duplication, because of course, there's some things you want to do right on site. You can't go carrying uh, you know your microscope slides around all over the place. And uh, you want to do a lot of that yourself, as an example. So If we all work together, we can innovate through cooperation, and we don't need to try to reinvent the wheel necessarily every time we we meet with each other. We can try to uh, repurpose the wheels and achieve new advances. So, uh, you know, there's some interesting things that you can do with new wheels, uh, uh, like throwing baseballs, which reminds me that uh, opening day, is April 5th, and spring is right around the corner for all of us who would like to, uh, are tired of the winter at this point. Uh, happy to take any questions, point you in the right direction of who you may want to see on uh, some of these shared resources, or talk to you afterwards. So any
0: questions for uh... Chris, regarding shared resources, what uh, they might do for you. So,
1: yeah. I, I just wanna bring up a point that, um, that you can act, you yourself can act as a navigator. So if a person doesn't know which shared resources. Or so if they have a sequencing problem and they don't know which one to go to, that they can come to you and you can direct them to That's them. right. And that's true for any shared resources. Uh, we all talk to each other. So if you're not sure where to go, just go to your nearest shared resource and say, hey, this is what I want to do. Who should I be talking to? And we can uh, help point you that way. Obviously, the website will also help a bit that way, uh, way too. Yes, Suzanne. And, and it, that's right, Eagle Eye will. Eagle Eye is good equipment
0: as number of
1: And no question, really, on this is too strange. Don't think, oh, there's no way they're going to know about that. Uh, these meetings, in particular, uh, we tend to be pretty much on the cutting edge. That doesn't mean we have the equipment here. But if we don't have it, we tend to know who's playing with it right now and who might be able to help you if there's something new and cutting edge and a piece of equipment that you uh, need to know about. Uh, uh, Those meetings are excellent for that. The vendors participate there a lot. They know core facilities tend to be the bigger buyers of bigger equipment, so they're always at those equipment, uh, uh, bring their equipment, and are really uh, showing off their newest stuff at those meetings.